From Finance and Commerce, this is Beyond the Skyline, a podcast about economic development, commercial real estate, and construction in Minnesota. Above all, it's a show about what's next, creativity, and the innovation and technology that are changing how we work and shaping the future of business throughout our state. In each episode, you will meet business leaders, builders, entrepreneurs, and big thinkers who may challenge the status quo, but also make their dreams a reality. I'm Joel Shetler, your host and editor of Finance and Commerce, Minnesota's oldest business newspaper and online publication. Thanks so much for joining me. Longtime MSR design principal Jack Poling didn't plan to pursue a career in architecture until well into his college career when a guidance counselor suggested it might be a good fit. The counselor was on to something. Now, after a decades-long career in architecture, including 16 years as managing director at MSR, Poling is calling it a career. A native of Texas, Poling graduated from Texas A&M University with a degree in environmental design, and he later earned a master's degree in architecture at the University of Minnesota. Poling has worked on numerous projects in Minnesota and beyond, with a special focus on libraries. In 2019, he was inducted into the American Institute of Architects' prestigious College of Fellows, which honors AIA members who have made, quote, significant contributions to elevate those architects who have achieved a standard of excellence in the profession and have made a significant contribution to architecture and society on a national level, end quote. In the following interview, Poling talks about how he decided to pursue a career in architecture, the importance of designing libraries as transformational places, the impact of the pandemic on design firms, and more. Well, uh, pleased to be joined by uh, Jack Poling, MSR Design Principal, and Jack announced uh, this week that he's retiring after 16 Managing Principal at MSR. Um, Jack has worked on many noteworthy projects through the years, and in 2019, I believe uh, you were inducted into the American Institute of Architects College of Fellows a prestigious honor awarded to members who have made significant contributions to the industry. Is that right, Jack? Yes. Great. Well, uh, well, congrats on your time and, and um, thanks for joining us today. What, uh, what, so when is your official last day on the job or has that already come and gone? Oh, I don't know that there is an official last day. I'm going to stay connected to a few projects that will take very little of my time over the next six or eight months. But over the course of this week, I've really been winding down. So I think next week I can say I'm retired with exception of a phone call here and there. Okay. And how has the transition been going? I assume you've been working with team members to take over your duties and as seamlessly as possible. Yeah, and a lot of that was already done. I was our managing principal and president for 16 years, and I stepped down from that early this year, and Tracy Lesneski took over, and that was the biggest transfer of responsibility um, there. Um, So I've stayed involved with some aspects of the operations of the firm um, through the spring and summer uh, and now the fall. Um, I didn't have much project work going on at the moment. So the one very active project I had, we transferred to one of the other principals. Um, like I just told you, there are several other projects that 
are under construction that are easier for me to stay involved with. So I'll be working with the staff on those for the next six or eight months. But, um, you know, those probably aren't even requiring any time each week. There's so little the staff takes care of, of the work for those projects. Um, so it's, um, you know, the transition is, my transition out is on multiple levels and it was really, as far as timing goes, probably as easy a time as there would ever be for me to, to step away from the firm. Well, has the firm been staying busy during the pandemic? Uh, anything? Um, I, I know it's been a tough time for the industry, but uh, are, have you seen uh, any major impacts on your workloads at the firm? Our workload, we need more work, um, as do a lot of other architectural firms and a lot of other businesses for that matter. We're hardly alone. We did get PPP money, which is going to help us tremendously. Um, our new fiscal year started October 1st, so we're a month into our fiscal year. Um, and we have the resources to carry us through our current fiscal year through next September, regardless of what happens. Um, but we do need more work. We have seen a big uptick in opportunities for new work, projects that we're pursuing. Um, <clears throat> I think it goes without saying that there's really uh, heavy competition for those projects, projects that might have attracted six or eight proposals in the past might get 26 or 28 now. Um, and um, also, as in any time when work gets scarce, um, fees become more of an issue for selection as well, because there's just more pressure that way. Um, but the firm is good through this fiscal year. It gives MSR um, quite a long time to get more work uh, and get us back where we want to be. Okay. Well, uh, it's good that they passed the bonding bill. That'll help. Sure. Yes, it will. Um, and there's are certain uh, projects in there that we feel are just right for MSR that we'll be pursuing. Yep. Great. I wonder if we could back up just a little bit and if you could talk a little bit about MSR and how long they've been around and the types of work that you've done over the years as a firm. Okay, well, MSR started in 1981. Um, we've done traditionally quite a bit of work with public libraries, with corporate clients, um, with other um, uh, educational and uh, uh, institutions like museums and galleries. Um, we've done a fair amount of residential work. We don't generally market that. That is more of a tangential kind of project that comes to us, um, both residences, renovations, condos, um, and also uh, quite a bit of work for not-for-profit organizations uh, over the years that one of our partners in particular has championed and built a, a good reputation. And um, so the firm's going on 40 years next fall. Uh, the firm will be 40 years old. I started there as a student in 1985 and 86. When I finished graduate school, I was gone for five years in Boston and Chicago working at other firms and then came back in 1991 and have been with the firm since then. Okay. And managing principal since 2004, is that right? For all of 2004, yep. Yeah. Okay. Until February, early March of this year. Okay, great. Well, you mentioned libraries and um, Libraries are, I love libraries and library projects. 
Um, and it was mentioned, I believe, when you were inducted into the College of Fellows that you've really focused your career on creating transformative spaces that push the boundaries of library science, anchor communities, and inspire intellectual curiosity and wonder. I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit and uh, talk about what that looks like. Um, what it looks like is something different in every community. And the, the great things about libraries, their libraries, public libraries, is that they're probably the most um, equal place in the in America in communities. That they're open to everybody. Um, they offer all sorts of things to all sorts of people at different economic levels, different social, ethnic. There's something for everybody at the public library. And so people who want to avail themselves of, of the opportunities, the materials, the services that the library offers um, very often for their own betterment, people working hard to, to improve themselves, um, the library is there for them. And they also enjoy a certain status in the community that most communities I think rightfully translate to wanting to design buildings of quality of some and quality means a lot of different things. There's physical quality, but there's also aesthetic quality. And it's important that libraries reflect their community and their places that people go to, not just to serve a need, um, but people, places that people go to because they feel comfortable there, because they feel safe there, because they feel inspired there. And many of the libraries that I've worked on over the years were libraries that didn't have large budgets. Some of them didn't even have responsible budgets. Uh, but in, in, in all of the libraries that we've worked with that I've led, um, it's been such a great process to understand communities and what their budget can afford them and making something great out of what they had with their means. Um, and like I said, it, it, it's something different in every place. It's not, you know, we don't have a, you couldn't go to any community where there's libraries that I've led and say, oh, that's a library that MSR did. That's, they're very much rooted in the history and traditions of the place and the people. I know they're so impactful. And I still remember when I was a little, little kid and I got my first library card, what a big deal that was and going to the neighborhood yeah. branch library. And back then, of course, it was, out of rows and rows of bookshelves and the Dewey Decimal System and things like that, but it's it, it's changed a lot, obviously. But uh, it's it's something that will always stay with me. And so, yeah, and that's exactly right. Everybody's story about the library is somewhere along those lines. And I think most people who, um, uh, you know, really care for their contribution and, and care for themselves and want to, to improve themselves, have some relationship with their library. Absolutely. Um, can you mention a few of the notable library projects you've worked on? Yeah, the libraries that were cited in our fellowship submission were um, uh, locally library in uh, Ramsey County Library in Roseville. Uh, we did several libraries in Texas. One, the first was a library in Denton, Texas, a far, it's now a far north Dallas suburb that was built with almost no budget out of an old food line grocery store. Um, another was a Dallas branch. Dallas done a tremendous job with their branch library systems and they really did appreciate design. And that's one where there was 
it was more or less a new building, um, but also done with people who wanted their buildings to make an impact. Um, and then we did a library in McAllen, Texas, far south Texas, that uh, got uh, very uh, much recognition in the library world because uh, it was made out of a Walmart store that the city had bought. And it, and it was that building was especially challenging um, just because of its sheer size. I don't, I don't think there's another library that's 125,000 square feet that's on one floor anywhere. Uh, and to make that work functionally was really a challenge. And then there's also the story of um, repurposing a Walmart store into a library, which is, uh, you know, has a, a, many other layers of interest uh, broadly. Um, we did a great little library in Aberdeen, South Dakota that got a lot of acclaim. And then there's two libraries that um, we led that um, are opening, trying to hope, open now um, amid all the restrictions that COVID has brought on in Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is actually roughly doubling the size of an 80,000 square foot library that we designed that opened in the early 2000s. Um, and a new library in Missoula, Montana, which is gonna be a really, really cool building. Um, and those, those projects are pretty much ready to go and open, but um, uh, they can't open uh, to the public in ways that they'd like to. So it's getting dragged out a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm always interested in why people got into a certain line of work. And I want to ask you, what, at what point did you decide to become an architect and what drove your interest <laughs> in this profession? Well, I had some innate interest in it, like a lot of people do. Um, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, oh, I wanted to be an architect. And I understand why, because it's been a tremendous career for me. But I started, I grew up in Texas and went to Texas A&M University and started studying physics. And after two years, failed out of school. My grade point was not enough for me to keep going. So I got a letter from the assistant dean or whatever his title was. This was in 1980, you know, so there's no email, no cell phones. Um, said, please come see me. So, you know, I knew what that was about. And I expected to find some dude who couldn't really teach and couldn't get grant money, you know, so they stuck him in the office. But what I found was quite the opposite. It was a guy who I still know and remain in touch with. Um, he was a psychologist. He told me, you know, obviously, you know why you're here. And I, we both knew why I was there. But he got talking to me about what I, um, what would be fun for me to do. He knew I wasn't that I was very capable of doing well in college. That wasn't the issue. It was that I couldn't force myself to do well at something I wasn't interested in, which I think that's probably not an uncommon trait. Um, but I went back to see him at his request. I think it was three or four times. So, so three or four hours I spent with him, um, with him talking to me about things that interested me that I might do well in and architecture came up quickly. Um, I was also ready to join the fire department in Houston. I thought that would be a really cool career, and it probably would have been. Uh, but at the end of my time with him, he said, if you would like to transfer to try, I'll get, I'll get you in. I had to take some, uh, but I did. And that, that was my beginning in architecture, probably something that if I'd have had a little better guidance on in high school, I could have made a smarter decision initially. Um, but it didn't. It really exists back then. My parents were really great parents, but weren't really suited, you know, based on their growing up um, to help me with a decision like that. Uh, but but that guy did, and uh, 
so I kind of backed into architecture school. That was 40 years ago this fall, mm. fall of 1980. Um, and I found that I liked it. I think the, in retrospect, um, I think what I needed to do was to be able to see tangible results of what I did. Uh, and in physics, you don't really see that. Um, and in architecture, I could do a drawing or build a model and you could, you'd ha you could have something in your hand to show what you were thinking and what you had done. And that it just really worked for me. And um, I did very well in architecture school after that. And it really didn't seem to be that hard to do well. So I, you know, that's, I think that's a good indication that you've, you're doing the right thing when, uh, when you can do very well at something and have fun doing it. Well, that's a great story. And I think there's a lesson to be learned there about the importance of um, career guidance and development and getting people learning about their interests and, and hopefully getting more people into uh, professions like architecture or the construction trades for that matter, or um, just uh, getting, getting to young people at the right time and the right age and um, finding what their interests are. And that's great that it worked out for you and um so um I, I have children right now who are kind of at that point where they're kind of figuring out what they want to do in life so i know what that's all about yeah well it's you know it's when you're 16 17 18 19 years old i don't know that there's many people that really can make a good decision at that but um, it was worked out very well for me that I was able to change course and uh, stay in college and find something that's worked out really, really well for me. Well, great. Well, uh, what are your plans for retirement? Are you going to do any traveling or anything like that? Yeah, my wife and I like to travel. Um, obviously, now that's a little limited. Uh, we have traveled a couple of times. Um, this summer um, on the plane once. And uh, so we do like to get out. Um, I, there's a lot of things that I like to do that I never, um, we, and we have a lot of flexibility with time at MSR. That's one of the things that we work hard at is balance between work and, and home. Um, but I never really figured out how or got good at leaving work at work and for all the freedom that we had to travel and do the things that I love to do um, there was always a stress and something in the back of my mind that kept me from enjoying the things that I love to do as much as I wanted to so um, part of you know there were a lot of things that I considered in deciding it's time to retire professional and personal and a big part of the personal ones were that I just felt like I wanted to have the time to do things like traveling, but I really love fishing and hunting in the fall with my boys playing golf and some artistic things that I love to do that I wanted to be out that stress and, and unfettered in it. It took me quite a while. There were so many things that I considered for retiring. Um, and it really took me quite a while to convince myself that I deserved to retire, you know, and I, that to have that time um, without work. Um, and also then professionally, you know, the decision was, had to be made that there's, there would be no 
harm done to the firm. I would never leave if that if there was going to create some problem. Um, but I've got I've got a plan. You know, after the first couple of weeks of doing absolutely nothing, and I'll get bored with that pretty quick. Um, I've got a plan to stay active with things that keep me physically and mentally active and have fun. And um, you know, I think it's going to work out. Well, before I let you go, is there anything else you'd like to say? Or um, sounds like you covered a lot of ground there. Um, yeah, no, I don't know. It's just been it's been great, and I, I, the more I, um, you know, just uh, it, I think I talked to the other partners in the firm two and a half weeks ago now, and every day since then, it's become more and more clear to me that it is it is right, and it's the right time. Um, and uh, uh and it's you know it's uh it's time for others to lead too um and they're very you know i'm leaving the firm in very very good hands um so um you know time will tell but uh it's been a career that i think most people would be very envious of and certainly i'm grateful for all the great opportunities i had and i'm grateful for the opportunity to leave it at a time you know when you've still got a lot left in you to do the things you want to do. So I think it's, it's just been spectacular and um, look forward to seeing what MS, you know, all the successes that MSR continues to have in the future. Yeah. Well, congratulations on a long and successful career and on your retirement. And I wish you well, Jack. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to Beyond the Skyline. We can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. To learn more about finance and commerce or to subscribe, go to our website, www.finance-commerce.com. I'm Joel Shetler, Editor of Finance and Commerce. Thank you again for listening to Beyond the Skyline.